Part two, section thirteen of the Maine Woods by Henry David Thoreau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, Chesuncook, section thirteen. We all landed at once. My companion reloaded. The Indian fastened his birch, threw off his hat, adjusted his waistband, seized the hatchet, and set out. He told me afterward casually that before we landed he had seen a drop of blood on the bank when it was two or three rods off he proceeded rapidly up the bank and through the woods with a peculiar elastic noiseless and stealthy tread looking to right and left on the ground and stepping in the faint tracks of the wounded moose now and then pointing in silence to a single drop of blood on the handsome shining leaves of the clintonia borealis which on every side covered the ground or to a dry fern stem freshly broken all the while chewing some leaf or else the spruce gum i followed watching his motions more than the trail of the moose after following the trail about forty rods in a pretty direct course stepping over fallen trees and winding between standing ones he at length lost it for there were many other moose tracks there and returning once more to the last bloodstain traced it a little way and lost it again and too soon i thought for a good hunter gave it up entirely he traced a few steps also the tracks of the calf but seeing no blood soon relinquished the search i observed while he was tracking the moose a certain reticence or moderation in him he did not communicate several observations of interest which he made as a white man would have done though they may have leaked out afterward at another time when we heard a slight crackling of twigs and he landed to reconnoitre he stepped lightly and gracefully stealing through the bushes with the least possible noise in a way in which no white man does as it were finding a place for his foot each time about half an hour after seeing the moose we pursued our voyage up pine stream and soon coming to a part which was very shoal and also rapid we took out the baggage and proceeded to carry it round while joe got up with a canoe alone we were just completing our portage and i was absorbed in the plants admiring the leaves of the aster macrophyllus ten inches wide and plucking the seeds of the great round-leaved orchis when joe exclaimed from the stream that he had killed a moose he had found the cow moose lying dead but quite warm in the middle of the stream which was so shallow that it rested on the bottom with hardly a third of its body above water it was about an hour after it was shot and it was swollen with water it had run about a hundred rods and sought the stream again cutting off a slight bend no doubt a better hunter would have tracked it to this spot at once i was surprised at its great size horse-like but joe said it was not a large cow moose my companion went in search of the calf again i took hold of the ears of the moose while joe pushed his canoe downstream toward a favourable shore and so we made out though with some difficulty its long nose frequently sticking in the bottom to drag it into still shallower water it was a brownish black or perhaps a dark iron grey on the back and sides but lighter beneath and in front i took the cord which served for the canoe's painter and with joe's assistance measured it carefully the greatest distances first making a knot each time the painter being wanted i reduced these measures that night with equal care to lengths and fractions of my umbrella beginning with the smallest measures and untying the knots as i proceeded and when we arrived at chesuncook the next day finding a two-foot rule there i reduced the last to feet and inches 
and moreover i made myself a two-foot rule of a thin and narrow strip of black ash which would fold up conveniently to six inches all this pains i took because i did not wish to be obliged to say merely that the moose was very large of the various dimensions which i obtained i will mention only two the distance from the tips of the hoofs of the forefeet stretched out to the top of the back between the shoulders was seven feet and five inches i can hardly believe my own measure for this is about two feet greater than the height of a tall horse indeed i am now satisfied that this measurement was incorrect but the other measures given here i can warrant to be correct having proved them in a more recent visit to those woods the extreme length was eight feet and two inches another cow moose which i have since measured in those woods with a tape was just six feet from the tip of the hoof to the shoulders and eight feet long as she lay when afterward i asked an indian at the carry how much taller the male was he answered eighteen inches and made me observe the height of a cross stake over the fire more than four feet from the ground to give me some idea of the depth of his chest another indian at old town told me that they were nine feet high to the top of the back and that one which he tried weighed eight hundred pounds the length of the spinal projections between the shoulders is very great a white hunter who was the best authority among hunters that i could have told me that the male was not eighteen inches taller than the female yet he agreed that he was sometimes nine feet high to the top of the back and weighed a thousand pounds only the male has horns and they rise two feet or more above the shoulders spreading three or four and sometimes six feet which would make him in all sometimes eleven feet high according to this calculation the moose is as tall though it may not be as large as the great irish elk megaceres hibernicus of a former period of which mantell says that it very far exceeded in magnitude any living species the skeleton being upward of ten feet high from the ground to the highest point of the antlers joe said that though the moose shed the whole horn annually each new horn has an additional prong but i have noticed that they sometimes have more prongs on one side than on the other i was struck with the delicacy and tenderness of the hoofs which divide very far up and the one half could be pressed very much behind the other thus probably making the animal surer footed on the uneven ground and slippery moss-covered logs of the primitive forest they were very unlike the stiff and battered feet of our horses and oxen the bare horny part of the forefoot was just six inches long and the two portions could be separated four inches at the extremities the moose is singularly grotesque and awkward to look at why should it stand so high at the shoulders why have so long a head why have no tail to speak of for in my examination i overlooked it entirely naturalists say it is an inch and a half long it reminded me at once of the camel leopard long before and low behind and no wonder for like it it is fitted to browse on trees the upper lip projected two inches beyond the lower for this purpose this was the kind of man that was at home there for as near as i can learn that has never been the residence but rather the hunting ground of the indian the moose will perhaps one day become extinct but how naturally then when it exists only as a fossil relic and unseen as that may the poet or sculptor invent a fabulous animal with similar branching and leafy horns a sort of fucus or lichen in bone to be the inhabitant of such a forest as this here just at the head of the murmuring rapids joe now proceeded to skin the moose with a pocket-knife 
while i looked on and a tragical business it was to see that still warm and palpitating body pierced with a knife to see the warm milk stream from the rent udder and the ghastly naked red carcass appearing from within its seemly robe which was made to hide it the ball had passed through the shoulder blade diagonally and lodged under the skin on the opposite side and was partially flattened my companion keeps it to show his grandchildren he has the shanks of another moose which he has since shot skinned and stuffed ready to be made into boots by putting in a thick leather sole joe said if a moose stood fronting you you must not fire but advance toward him for he will turn slowly and give you a fair shot in the bed of this narrow wild and rocky stream between two lofty walls of spruce and firs a mere cleft in the forest which the stream had made this work went on at length joe had stripped off the hide and dragged it trailing to the shore declaring that it weighed a hundred pounds though probably fifty would have been nearer the truth he cut off a large mass of the meat to carry along and another together with the tongue and nose he put with the hide on the shore to lie there all night or till we returned i was surprised that he thought of leaving this meat thus exposed by the side of the carcass as the simplest course not fearing that any creature would touch it but nothing did this could hardly have happened on the bank of one of our rivers in the eastern part of massachusetts but i suspect that fewer small wild animals are prowling there than with us twice however in this excursion i had a glimpse of a species of large mouse this stream was so withdrawn and the moose tracks were so fresh that my companions still bent on hunting concluded to go farther up it and camp and then hunt up or down at night half a mile above this at a place where i saw the aster puniceus and the beaked hazel as we paddled along joe hearing a slight rustling amid the alders and seeing something black about two rods off jumped up and whispered bear but before the hunter had discharged his piece he corrected himself to beaver hedgehog the bullet killed a large hedgehog more than two feet and eight inches long the quills were rayed out and flattened on the hinder part of its back even as if it had lain on that part but were erect and long between this and the tail their points closely examined were seen to be finely bearded or barbed and shaped like an awl that is a little concave to give the barbs effect after about a mile of still water we prepared our camp on the right side just at the foot of a considerable fall little chopping was done that night for fear of scaring the moose we had moose meat fried for supper it tasted like tender beef with perhaps more flavor sometimes like veal after supper the moon having risen we proceeded to hunt a mile up the stream first carrying about the falls we made a picturesque sight wending single file along the shore climbing over rocks and logs joe who brought up the rear twirling his canoe in his hands as if it were a feather in places where it was difficult to get along without a burden we launched the canoe again from the ledge over which the stream fell but after half a mile of still water suitable for hunting it became rapid again and we were compelled to make our way along the shore while joe endeavored to get up in the birch alone though it was still very difficult for him to pick his way amid the rocks in the night we on the shore found the worst of walking a perfect chaos of fallen and drifted trees and of bushes projecting far over the water and now and then we made our way across the mouth of a small tributary on a kind of network of alders so we went tumbling on in the dark 
being on the shady side effectually scaring all the moose and bears that might be thereabouts at length we came to a standstill and joe went forward to reconnoitre but he reported that it was still a continuous rapid as far as he went or half a mile with no prospect of improvement as if it were coming down from a mountain so we turned about hunting back to the camp through the still water it was a splendid moonlight night and i getting sleepy as it grew late for i had nothing to do found it difficult to realize where i was this stream was much more unfrequented than the main one lumbering operations being no longer carried on in this quarter it was only three or four rods wide but the firs and spruce through which it trickles seemed yet taller by contrast being in this dreamy state which the moonlight enhanced i did not clearly discern the shore but seemed most of the time to be floating through ornamental grounds for i associated the fir tops with such scenes very high up some broadway and beneath or between their tops i thought i saw an endless succession of porticos and columns cornices and facades verandas and churches i did not merely fancy this but in my drowsy state such was the illusion i fairly lost myself in sleep several times still dreaming of that architecture and the nobility that dwelt behind and might issue from it but all at once i would be aroused and brought back to a sense of my actual position by the sound of joe's birch horn in the midst of all this silence calling the moose um, um, um. and i prepared to hear a furious moose come rushing and crashing through the forest and see him burst out on to the little strip of meadow by our side but on more accounts than one i had had enough of moose hunting i had not come to the woods for this purpose nor had i foreseen it though i had been willing to learn how the indian manoeuvred but one moose killed was as good if not as bad as a dozen the afternoon's tragedy and my share in it as it affected the innocence destroyed the pleasure of my adventure it is true i came as near as is possible to come to being a hunter and miss it myself and as it is i think that i could spend a year in the woods fishing and hunting just enough to sustain myself with satisfaction this would be next to living like a philosopher on the fruits of the earth which you would raise which also attracts me but this hunting of the moose merely for the satisfaction of killing him not even for the sake of his hide without making any extraordinary exertion or running any risk yourself is too much like going out by night to some woodside pasture and shooting your neighbour's horses these are god's own horses poor timid creatures that will run fast enough as soon as they smell you though they are nine feet high joe told us of some hunters who a year or two before had shot down several oxen by night somewhere in the main woods mistaking them for moose and so might any of the hunters and what is the difference in the sport but the name in the former case having killed one of god's and your own oxen you strip off its hide because that is the common trophy and moreover you have heard that it may be sold for moccasins cut a stake from its haunches and leave the huge carcass to smell to heaven for you it is no better at least than to assist at a slaughter-house this afternoon's experience suggested to me how base or coarse are the motives which commonly carry men into the wilderness the explorers and lumberers generally are all hirelings paid so much a day for their labour and as such they have no more love for wild nature than wood sawyers have for forests other white men and indians who come here are for the most part hunters whose object is to slay as many moose and other wild animals as possible 
but pray could not one spend some weeks or years in the solitude of this vast wilderness with other employments than these employments perfectly sweet and innocent and ennobling for one that comes with a pencil to sketch or sing a thousand come with an axe or rifle what a coarse and imperfect use indians and hunters make of nature no wonder that their race is so soon exterminated i already and for weeks afterward felt my nature the coarser for this part of my woodland experience and was reminded that our life should be lived as tenderly and daintily as one would pluck a flower with these thoughts when we reached our camping-ground i decided to leave my companions to continue moose hunting down the stream while i prepared the camp though they requested me not to chop much nor make a large fire for fear i should scare their game in the midst of the damp fir wood high on the mossy bank about nine o'clock of this bright moonlight night i kindled a fire when they were gone and sitting on the fir twigs within sound of the falls examined by its light the botanical specimens which i had collected that afternoon and wrote down some of the reflections which i have here expanded or i walked along the shore and gazed up the stream where the whole space above the falls was filled with mellow light as i sat before the fire on my fir twig seat without walls above or around me i remembered how far on every hand that wilderness stretched before you came to cleared or cultivated fields and wondered if any bear or moose was watching the light of my fire for nature looked sternly upon me on account of the murder of the moose end of part two section thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine